It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a crowd podcast. This is Death of a Sports Star. Now, most sports, they make sense. It's you alone or it's you in a team. Football, team. Tennis, on your own. Basketball, there's four others on your side. Cricket, that's different. It's a team game, but it's not, not really. Everything you do, it's on your own. One batsman facing one bowler. No one else can help you when it matters. Like boxers, like gladiators. You can win and your team can fail. You can mess up and the team still wins. It gets in your head, that puzzle, those risks. Tennis, you make a mistake, you lose a point, nothing more. Golf, yeah, you're on your own, but you mess up one shot and you still keep playing. Cricket, it's all or nothing one mistake as a batsman and it's all over no second chances no one to save you more than that it's dangerous a small hard ball that breaks things aimed at your body at your head drawing blood breaking bones like boxing and all the time the crowds watching you not the other players not the ones waiting their turn or waiting for you to do something you the batter them the bowler What happens when they charge at you in a full-on sprint, hurl that small, hard ball at you? You and them, facing each other, waiting for the impact, like gladiators. Those things, they can hurt you. The danger, the consequences. Batsmen, they can torture themselves. Too much time to think, too much to lose. Is this my day? Am I good enough? Was that my fault? Was there anything I could do? You on your own, and that crowd watching, and the other team on you all of the time. They stand close, and they wait for your mistake. And they try to force it by talking to you, by shouting at you, questioning you, winding you up, reminding you, as if you needed it, what that small, hard ball can do to your fingers and arms and body and face. You can tell yourself you're good enough, can tell yourself you've done it before i'm playing for a reason i'm ready that's one voice there's 11 of them at it all the time and the crowd and loads watching on tv and reporters all looking at you waiting for the mistake waiting for the ball to hit how do you get through all that as a batsman in cricket you keep it simple simple works mostly think about that ball and you and nothing else Not what might happen, but what is. Push the doubts away. Push away the fear. 
not the ball hitting you, but you hitting the ball. You in control, not them. You need luck, of course you do. How that ball bounces, where it goes. Maybe you get superstitious. You have a routine, something to fall back on. But you'll question yourself in the end. Because nothing lasts forever. Not in this game. You will fail, even if you win a fair amount too. And the doubters, they'll push you, talk about you, examine you, and you will get hurt. That small, hard ball will get through. And the luck, that's where you really need it. That's when you can't protect yourself, when no one else can. So this is Philip Hughes when you meet him. A batsman, in cricket, on his own. The ball coming at him hundreds of times a day, week after week. Trying to keep it simple. Everything, his batting, his life. Trying to push the doubts away. Trying to stay lucky. So we're going to talk about his story. What he did right, what went so tragically wrong. Why he died so young. Why so many people cared. And still do. Right after this short break. You'd like Philip Hughes when you meet him. Smiley, straightforward, brown hair going blonde in summer. Very Australian, so Australian. He's small, even now he's early 20s. Still looks like a kid. And that's how everyone thinks of him, as their kid brother. In return, he'll call you Brew, short for brother. Doesn't matter if it's the first time you've met. He smiles, shakes your hand. Hey, Brew. You look at him, going out to bat. Thick white pads on his legs, white padded gloves on his hands, another hard pad on his forearm, pads under his trousers, on the front of his thighs, on his chest, under his shirt. On his head, a helmet. It's carbon fibre and titanium, with a peak and metal grill round the front. He doesn't look like someone going off to have fun. He looks like a kid going off to war. Only the back of him's unprotected. Back of his legs, shoulders, neck bottom of skull. That makes sense. That hard ball comes at you face on. That's where it's hitting you. Usually. So there's that between him and the ball. And there's his bat, just over 10 centimetres wide, still made of wood, which seems kind of old-fashioned when you think about all that carbon and steel wrapped around him. You watch him walking out onto the grass pitch, this smiling kid in armour. 22 yards between him and the bowler, when the bowler's done with charging in. That ball, it comes out of the bowler's hand so fast it's hard to see it. Red, polished leather, shiny, heavier than a baseball. Sometimes, when you're batting, you hear it. Hear the stitched seam on it fizzing through the air. Hear it cut past your nose as you jerk your head out of the way. It's almost alive, angry, humming with menace. You jerk your head because you have no time. If the bowler's quick, it's coming at you at 90 miles an hour. So hang on, let's work this out. That speed from there, you've got less than half a second to get your bat in the way, or you face it out. That's now to now. Try moving at all in that gap. All right, let's do it again. That's now to now. So that's why you get hit. The week Philip Hughes is born, a top Aussie batsman gets his jaw broken by a bowler. There's a story about an English batsman getting hit in the face. When they pick up the ball, it's got bits of his nose stuck in it. And here's the thing. 
Everyone loves it. The opposition standing around you, shouting at you, winding you up. The crowd cheering and laughing. People watching at home, slow motion replays. Get ready for a broken arm! That's what an Australian captain yells at an English batsman. Except it's not that polite, obviously. And the batsman, he's just meant to enjoy it too. The danger, the pain. There's a way they talk about it in Australia, getting hit. They talk about wearing it. He wears that on his chin. He wears one on his chest. Like it's a medal, like it's pride. Get hit, wear it. And never think about what might happen. Push the doubts away. Stay lucky. There's something else you need to know about Hughes. Why they love him in Australia, what he means to them. He's from a place called Maxville. It's nice, but it's nowhere. Five hours south of Brisbane, one big city, five hours north of Sydney, a bigger one. You only go there by accident, coming down the Pacific Highway, needing a stop-off for food or a drink in all that Aussie heat. The road takes you over the river into town. Low buildings, green fields, quiet. There's only two places for a drink. The Star Hotel, which is a pub, they just call them hotels in Australia. White wood, red tin roof, old veranda around the outside. Very nowhere Australia. Then there's the Nambuka Hotel, where Philip's dad Greg and his brother Jason, his mum Virginia, little sister Megan, all of them hang out. That's it. Two and a half thousand people in the whole town. Farmers, shopkeepers, drinkers. This is where Philip grows up. Working on his dad's banana farm, feeding his chickens, fishing in the river, playing cricket. And that matters to Aussies. That's what they were, that way of living. And even now, when almost all of them live in cities, it's what they like to think they still are. That's the best bits of them, out in the country, farming and fishing. Drinking, playing cricket, keeping it simple. Here's how Philip plays cricket when he's a kid. It's in the back garden, because everyone has a back garden in Maxville. He's batting, his brother's bowling. The wicket, that's a banana crate on its side. Behind him's the concrete patio and the barbecue. You run past the chicken house, hear them squawking. You hit the ball and you stay in control, cracking it into the brown metal fence at the side, making dents with that hard ball. Hit it into the next door's garden and you're out. 25 runs if you hit a chicken. It's like 30 years ago. It's like 100 years ago. Weekends, it's big farming shows. More old Australia. There's awards for everything. Here's one that tells you a lot about Maxville. Heaviest hand of bananas. There's another one. Best commercial bunch irrigated. That doesn't happen in the city, does it? There's a photo of Philip when he's 11-ish. He's got a white cowboy hat on, blue jeans, smiling like always. He's at something called the Maxville Cattle Parade. Bananas put food on the table. Actually, bananas are the food on the table. But cows, well, that's the dream. So when he plays cricket, it's simple. He hits the ball like a kid with an axe chopping bananas, because that's what he does half the time. And when he thinks about cricket, he thinks about making money. Not for cars and girls, but for cows. To buy cows for him and his dad. There's someone else we need to talk about here. Someone else who matters as Hughes is getting better at cricket and people start noticing all over Australia. Don Bradman, best batsman of all time, by miles. He did it all 60, 70 years before Hughes. But people see connections. Bradman was a kid from the sticks too. Same state, New South Wales. Same height, small. His backyard practice was hitting a golf ball with a cricket stump. 
Bradman, he changes Australia, gives it a first proper hero, takes on England, the old colonial ruler, beats them. When Bradman bats, Aussies feel, well, Australian, maybe for the first time. Not separated by hundreds of miles of red dirt and flies. Not outcasts from England. One country, a successful country. So there's another dream for Aussies, the dream of the old Australia. It comes together with the cricket. A kid from the sticks, hard-working, straightforward, talented. Goes to the city, makes it a success, takes on England, beats them, and never changes, all the time. It's a myth, of course it is, but we all have them, all of us. And it's heavy on Hughes, because he didn't ask for any of this, but it's there anyway. All this expectation. And he carries it for a while. Moves to Sydney, like Bradman. Gets picked by Australia as a kid, like Bradman. Makes it work. Breaks big records early on, taking on the fast bowlers and surviving. The Star Hotel, back in Maxville, they give out free beer when he's batting. Nice idea, but cost them a fortune. He's always batting. The opposition, when they stand around and shout and swear at him, it just makes him smile more. Here's what they end up saying. Is he deaf? The reporters, the crowds, they say something else. This kid, he's little Dom. He's the new Bradman. All the time, he keeps it simple. In the team, his nickname's Church Mouse, because he's so quiet. The captain, he's a guy called Michael Clark. He was the kid once. They called him Pup. Him and Philip, they become good mates, share an apartment. But Clark, when he first broke through, got cash. He bought himself a red Ferrari, got tattoos, a model girlfriend. People didn't like that. He's a city boy. So Aussies don't trust him, not properly, even though they're city boys and girls too. We all have our myths. Here's Hughes on his 18th birthday. He's homesick, wants to be back with the cows in Maxville. So his mates in Sydney, they take him to a nightclub. First thing he does is go outside again to phone his dad. How's the cows? But here's the thing about myths. They're not real. They're nice listening to, sure, but they're not predictions. They're not plans. Philip Hughes starts to struggle. He goes to England to conquer them like Bradman, and, well, he doesn't. It's hard. The bowlers target him, aim at his chest and head, don't give him the time to move. He's not in control, not in England. He chases the ball, all enthusiasm, like a puppy going after a crisp packet on the wind, and he makes mistakes, and he gets out, and he gets the blame. He's on his own. There's something you get when you get picked by Australia. A dark green cap. It looks Victorian. Old Australia. It comes in a velvet bag with your name stitched into the side. PJ Hughes. Then a number, 408. It means he's the 408th man to play this sort of cricket for Australia. Only 400 of them in 140 years out of all of the millions gone from the country to the city. Special, but not special enough. They picked him... And now they drop him. He's not Don Bradman. No one else is. And Bradman, the only way they stopped him, although not for long, was to bowl at his head, get that ball buzzing past his nose, hit him, hurt him. England try the same with Hughes, and it works and keeps working. 
He tells himself all those things. I'm good enough. I've done it before. I played for a reason. But the belief, the expectation, is going. The crowds, the reporters, now they don't seem to trust him as much. All the things they liked, little fella doing big things, swinging his bat like an axe, now those are the things they're struggling with. It's too simple. It's not enough. They want it more polished. They want it more sophisticated. He gets picked, he gets dropped. In and out of the national team, four times in two years. He moves domestic teams from New South Wales, where he was born, where Bradman was born, to South Australia, 800 miles west, where Bradman ended up too. The baggy green cap, that's what they call it, the baggy green, he takes that with him when he goes back home to Maxville. Here's what he tells the city boys. I'm going home to play with the cows. So he still loves his cricket, and he still wants to play for Australia, but he's looking beyond now, too. What's going to happen when the country kid comes back from the city, when the baggy green goes back in its bag? There's so many nice stories about this. You'll like this one. A teammate sees Hughes showing something to another mate on his phone. From the excitement, from the noise, he thinks it's a girl. It's a cow. Right, he's in England again, not playing much, trying to keep smiling. The team coach is driving between cities, everyone's half asleep, and Philip, he suddenly jumps up and shouts, look left, cows. He buys a cattle stud. He's got 50, he wants 500. He gets it put in his new contract. If there's no cricket on, he can go home to see them. He's back at the Maxville Farmers show. Now it's not about bananas. The prizes have got bigger. Philip Hughes, he comes away with a new award, Supreme Beef Animal. Three years in a row. A happy man in his happy place. No one could have guessed what was going to happen next. How all that was going to change in less than half a second. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So in November 2014, Philip Hughes is 25 years old. Still believing, still hoping, trying to stay lucky. He's playing in Sydney, the SCG. The cricket ground that's old Australia and new Australia all at the same time. An old copper-roofed stand that's Victorian, huge new ones made of concrete and glass. Playing for South Australia, his new side, against New South Wales, his old side. Their captain? His captain with Australia. His old flatmate, Michael Clark. Hughes is batting, and the bowling? It's fast. The one he's up against, the other gladiator, he's linked to that myth too from an even smaller country town. And he's younger, Sean Abbott, 22, quick, keen. Hughes is doing okay. He's sticking around. His mum, Virginia, sister Megan, they're in the crowd. Not many watching, because this is not a big game, but they're family. Never relaxed, because you're not, when it's your boy or brother out there, but hopeful. The sun's shining. It's warm. Blue skies. Very Australian. 
So what happens? They start bowling at his body, at his head. Flat out, no time to react. The ball fizzing past his chest, his nose. He can hear it, humming with menace. The opposition talk to him, shout at him. Don't like that, do you? Here comes another. When they break for lunch, Hughes looks tired. Of course he does. He's a kid in heavy armour. The team coach notices, asks him if he's okay. Here's what Hughes says. It's tough work out there, but I like it that way. Batting again, more balls fizzing past, him jerking his head. The opposition clapping and laughing. This is the good stuff. Hughes, he says to them, you're not getting me out. Sean Abbott, the bowler, young and fast. He sprints in, lets go of that small, hard ball. <laughs> Philip Hughes, less than half a second to react, from here to here. This time, he's not quick enough. Swings his wooden bat like an axe, misses, turning his head, wearing the ball, bang, on the back of his neck, the bottom of his skull, where there's no protection, because that's not where it's hitting you, usually. Here's what Sean Abbott sees, what Virginia and Megan see from the stands. Philip Hughes sways, he puts his hand on his knees, stays there for the slimmest little moment and then he falls forward, like a tree that's been chopped. Arms limp, bats dropping. No protection. They know the opposition. Now they run in to help him, the little brother. Abbott, he holds the right side of Philip's head with his left hand, trying to cushion him, cradle him. It takes time for the ambulance to arrive. Twenty-three minutes. Even in the big city. In all that time, all those stretched-out seconds, Hughes never speaks, never twitches, never moves. Everyone wants to help him. A buggy takes him off the field. The ambulance takes him to the big hospital, St Vincent's. His mum, his sister go with him, and his old captain, Michael Clark. He's older now. He knows what he has to do. The rest of them, well, they don't know what to do. Sean Abbott, the bowler, he sits in the changing room. He feels confused. He has a headache. People keep coming up to him, but he can't remember anything they say. He feels more tired than he's ever been. Sport? It's all about the miracle comeback. Team sports, sports you play on your own. You're down, and it seems over, and then you fight back, and no one can quite believe it, but you make it. We couldn't, but they can. So as news races across Australia about Hughes, races around the world, there's hope going with it. He's a fighter, they say. He's worn one, but he's a tough kid. A gladiator. And he is all those things. But that small leather ball is hard, and he was unprotected. When it hit him, it crushed his vertebral artery. It caused a massive bleed in his brain. The surgeons have removed part of his skull, put him in an induced coma in intensive care. They know before we do. His mum and sister know. His captain. He knows too. Australia has stopped. It waits. It's Michael Clark who tells them all. Sits in a press conference, staring at this piece of paper in front of him. He's just said goodbye. Seen the life support switched off. And now he can't look up. He stares at that paper, trying to read it, and he talks about the loss of a son and a brother. 
he talks about devastation. That's how the world finds out. You can't make sense of something like that. Not easily. So there's the formal stuff that happens. Flags lowered to half-mast, matches postponed, plans for a funeral. And there's the way everyone tries to process it. Sport is good at quantifying things. It's all statistics, records of what's happened and who's done it and how. It makes complicated things simple. Philip Hughes had scored 63 runs the day he was hit. So that becomes the number we all look to. 63 seconds of applause before games. Batsmen stopping when they get to 63 to point their bats at the blue sky. The final scorecard of Hughes's life. In books, on internet sites, on Google. Forever reading, 63 not out. A lovely start. Not enough. Not yet. The doctors talk like doctors can. More than 170 people have been killed in cricket matches in Australia over the last 150 years. A brain haemorrhage when the artery burst, they say only 100 cases of that have ever been recorded, only once after being hit by a cricket ball. It doesn't feel right talking about luck, so you hang on to something else. In most instances, death had been immediate. It didn't hurt in the end. And so we go back to Maxville. Australia has come back to the little town. 5,000 people at the funeral, national TV taking it everywhere else. It's at the high school because there's nowhere else big enough in Maxville. Lovely sunny day, bit of a breeze, car after car coming off the Pacific Highway, over the river and into town. It's the captain again leading the team, Michael Clark standing with Hughes's mum and dad and sister and brother, standing with Sean Abbott, the bowler, trying to talk, stopping, crying trying again. He says this, I don't know about you, but I keep looking for him. Next to him is an old coat stand from the family house. It's got the baggy green cap on it. The number, 408. Clark looks up. Rest in peace, my little brother. For the parents, the peace. It doesn't come. Not then. You don't process it, not a mum and dad. So when they ask for a coroner's inquest, and it happens two years on, it's brutal. Five days of it, of questions and anger and doubts. There's one thing the experts agree. That ambulance, the one that came after 23 minutes, it wouldn't have made any difference if it had been there in five or two. It was always too late. It's what happened before that's messy, one player, he says he heard another bowler getting himself pumped before the game, like a boxer. This is what he says he heard. I'm going to kill you, like a gladiator. Others argue, he'd never have said that. The coroner, he's not sure, but he says the shouts were there. Maybe not that exact thing, but something. Pushing Hughes, reminding him what that ball could do. Some players say they can't remember. Did they say anything? Hear anything? can't remember. That's when the parents walk out. They've heard enough. The court hears about the strategies. How do you stop Hughes? Bowl it short. Make it bounce up at his chest and head. Eight times in a row that happened that day. The ninth one, well that's the one that gets through. 
The coroner says he believes it. That was the plan. He also says it was okay. Hughes was getting through it. He had a routine. He wasn't out. There are little words and phrases that stay with you when you hear them. Minuscule misjudgment. That's the verdict on why Philip Hughes died. A minuscule misjudgment that made him miss the bull. The next one. There was no suggestion the bull was bowled with malicious intent. One more quote for you. Neither the bowler nor anyone else was to blame for the tragic outcome. The formal stuff. Does much change? The coroner says something else. All the things cricketers say to each other, the goading, the taunts, do they need to say it? The helmets, they do a review, design a new bit of protection to go down the neck. But players don't like it, find it uncomfortable. The next Aussie captain, when he's playing England, he doesn't bother with it, and a fast bowler sprints in and the ball hits. The captain wears it on the head and he goes down. The next time he gets up, he's taken off, concussed, but he's okay. You have to stay lucky in this game. So, some people forget, and some people move on. It's in the other stuff when you see Philip Hughes, when you keep looking. Remember that bridge across the river in Maxville? That's got a name now, the Philip Hughes Bridge, taking you to the city, bringing you back. A mate of his, he takes over the cattle stud, promises to get those 500 cows. That's what he says, out in those green fields, out on his own. Mate, I will keep your dream alive. And there's something else too. There's a bloke in the big city, never met Hughes, does something completely different, works in IT, about as far from cows and Maxville as you can get. He sticks out a tweet. A photo of his own bat, with his own cap, hanging off the handle, leaning against his front door. That's the myth, right there. The connection. Wooden bat, baggy cap. It makes Australians feel, well, Australian. So other people do the same. Take their bats and their caps and lean them and post photos. And across the world, the connection is there. Hundreds of people, thousands, all doing the same, together, not alone. Keeping it simple. And that was the story of Philip Hughes. It was written by Tom Fordyce and performed by me, Tom Price. Our editor was Phil Brown. For research, we used the official biography of Philip Hughes, which was written by Malcolm Knox and Peter Layla, as well as the archives of the BBC, ESPN and Wisdom. The music we used was provided by our partner, BMG Music Production. We've got more episodes of Death of a Sports Star available to listen to right now. Subscribe and you'll get a new episode every Monday, but if this is your first one, then just scroll up or down our feed and you'll see episodes about the likes of Kobe Bryant, Justin Fashnu, and, sadly, many more. If you want a personal recommendation, do try our Payne Stewart episode. He was the maverick American golfer who died in a plane that just kept on flying. And if you've listened to all of our Sports Star episodes already, well, there's another Crowd Network series called Death of a Rockstar, with new episodes out on Thursdays. Search for Death of a Rockstar now, and you'll find the stories of Whitney Houston, Michael Hutchins, and Otis Redding, all of them beautifully written too. Thanks for listening. Crowd Network. A place where you belong. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. 
There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix, dissecting the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you after the chequered flag. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age... You're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals that you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato and this is Pit Pass F1, a brand new podcast that'll take you closer to the action of the world's most prestigious motorsport. From Monaco to Miami and Australia to Azerbaijan, Pit Pass F1 is on the ground and has you covered. Esteemed F1 journalists Julianne Serasoli and Chris Medland will take you inside the sport every round. They'll keep you up to date with the latest news breaking in Formula One and the most influential views shaping the world of Grand Prix racing. Every Friday, we'll be bringing you a track guide and race preview, and Chris and Drew will be in your feed every morning from Saturday through to Monday to keep you up to date on all the day's action on and off the track. So if you want to be in the know on the latest in Formula One, subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts and visit us at evergreenpodcasts.com. Pit Pass F1, a brand new show for Evergreen Podcasts.